Welcome to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast, a podcast about getting out from behind the keyboard and just talking. Each week, we invite a guest or two to sit down and talk about their life and their work. I'm Christopher Brown, your host, and this is the Cross-Border Interview Podcast featuring Esmahan Razavi. Um, but I want to thank you very much for this. Greatly appreciate it. I apologize for the mess up in April. I was just getting over COVID and I was just, yeah, it was not a fun time. Did you get sick? I did. I was one of, the, I, I'm oh a stat. <laughs> oh no. Do you know how you got it? Uh, funeral. I uh, was working. I had to go live stream a funeral for a family, and one of their members was sick. So close contact. I was being stupid. I wasn't wearing a mask. The only time I wasn't wearing a mask, and I get it. So, <laughs> oh. yeah. Oh, I'm glad you're better. Yes, uh, it was almost three and a half, four weeks of pure just torture, and I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. And when people say stay home if you're sick, stay home if you're sick, because it's a nasty, nasty virus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, glad you're better. You all, thank you. Goodness. So. So we will dive right into this. Um, the very first question I have before we even get into the interview is, how do you pronounce your last name? Razavi. Razavi? Razavi, yeah. Uh, okay, my awesome. And then my first name, first name is S. Esmahan, yeah. Esmahan. Okay, that's what I knew how to pronounce your first name. It was just the last name that I was having uh, difficulties with, and I, I was trying to do a, uh, an introduction uh, before the interview here, and I kept on screwing it up. And I said, I need to ask her. Going to record it so that way I have it on uh, <laughs> that. So let's let's jump right into this. Esmahan, uh, usually ask the same question to all my guests. Where does your sense of duty come from? You were on multiple boards. You ran for council yourself. So where did your sense of duty come from? Um, I think part of it was instilled in me through my family. Um, you know, I have a family that on both sides, my mom's side and my dad's side, um, they were heavily involved in like charity work back home. And um, so I saw that as an example. Um, but also, I think, so I immigrated to Canada when I was 13 um, and have always sort of had this sense of uh, gratitude towards the country um, and also this sense of the gratitude kind of transformed itself into this idea that, well, I got so much out of moving here that I would want to give back to people who maybe haven't, like, haven't fully, um, you know, people who are struggling, I guess, um, who maybe, you know, um, might need some, uh, I don't, I don't want to say help, but I, I guess just, yeah, get back in the way that I, I I've had. Now, uh, you could have uh, given back in multiple ways, nonprofit organizations like you're doing right now, politics, uh, but you did run for council. You were active in politics. You have a substantial CV when it comes to uh, trying to get people to get involved in politics, particularly women. Was your, was your mother and father very political growing up when they first moved to Canada? So... Um it's interesting. So, so I'm Middle Eastern, 
and the Middle East. The reason I say that is because the Middle East is an area that where politics literally has an impact on your life. Um, you watch the news all the time. You recognize that your country is being affected by other countries. And it's something that you have to pay attention to. Um, you know, when I was two years old, um, I lived through the Gulf War. Um, and I don't really have, you know, many memories of it. But I do remember um, the, the sound of the sirens going on when there were supposed to be bombs coming from uh, Iraq and like I had this like throwing up reaction to it. Um, so when you're living, like when you have grown up in that kind of environment or when you spend time in that kind of environment, um, like my parents did, then politics becomes like dinnertime conversation. You watch, I like, like, I remember, you know, going to visit my grandparents on either side. The news was always on at night. Like you always watched uh, the evening newscast and they were kind of obsessed with it. And so I think that really heightened my sense of political awareness. Um, and when I moved here, that's something that I paid attention to. You know, um, living in the Middle East, you don't have at the time um, the opportunity to participate in uh, politics in the same way that you can here. Um, and you recognize, you know, there's a bit of a sense of powerlessness um, because you see that decisions are being made um, by other people and that maybe um, your voice doesn't have as much resonance as you would like it to. Um, and so that kind of, um, I think, really stuck with me and it made me think about how to use my voice um, in a way that that like kind of does justice to my upbringing. So do you remember your first political campaign that you got involved with here in Canada when you actually moved here? In after oh, yeah, it was like later, like in life, like <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. OK. Um, and I yeah, like I always cared about politics, but I didn't really see organized politics as a way for for me to get involved necessarily. I mean, I think one of the things that one of the reasons I'm passionate about getting other people involved in politics is because even though I was so political and had so many political opinions, I did not know how to access politics. And I didn't think that um, it was possible necessarily for someone like me who, you know, didn't have parents who were um, politicians, um, didn't have friends who were, you know, like sons or daughters of politicians or campaign managers. Like I didn't really know that it how to get involved um, and what it would take. And so I kind of stumbled upon it, um, you know, two federal elections ago, I guess, um, before that, when I, I went to, um, be before the election, I went to a political kind of event and um, made the uh, mistake of giving my email. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, um, got contacted and thought, like, why not? Like, I, I, I might as well kind of take a look and and see if this is a way that I can um, kind of express myself in the way that I've always been interested in. And I think like a lot of people, um, I did have a negative view of politics. Um, and sometimes I, I do feel that way still where it does seem like it's kind of um, maybe not the avenue for change or maybe it feels like, um, you know, it's like a certain group of people and it's hard to access. Um, but I think what, what made me feel like I wanted to participate in it was a, like thinking about my, my childhood and, and my family and this idea that if you're not at the table, then maybe your voice doesn't count as much. Um, 
and then B, like, you know, um, trying a different way of, of making a difference. So that's kind of, I think, what led me into staying in it. And then um, I really had an enjoyable experience in my first campaign, was very lucky to work with some super cool women in particular, um, but some super cool guys as, as well. And that was a very positive experience. And I um, was also the beneficiary of people who were more experienced than me, who were willing to kind of lift me up. And so I really liked that example um, and wanted to do that for other people as well. Um, and that's like the model of politics I like. It's like the more inclusive model where you're um, trying to bring in as many people as possible. And I realize I'm going on and on. Um, hey, if yeah, you weren't, they would be a very bad podcast. So I'm very happy you're going on and on. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so trying to bring in as many people um, as possible because the more people you have, the more ideas you have, the more perspectives you have. And I think that's really important in democracy in particular. It's like, um, and it's one of the reasons that I am interested in um, getting more women involved, more young people involved, more, um, you know, black, indigenous people of color involved is because um, I think democracy benefit, like democracy is most served most well served when there are people with different lived experiences at the table um who are able to share those their their own insights um and you know open your eyes to different issues different problems different different ways of solving things i think that's really important it gets it gets stale if it's the same people in the room over and over again um so that's kind of why i like trying to yeah make the tent bigger um so to speak and and find people who who are leaders in their own way um but who don't necessarily see politics as a way to to carry on the work that they're doing when did you realize there was a disparity between men and women in politics was it in that first election campaign of that 2015 or was it beforehand it was well beforehand. Um, like, like I said, I, I grew up in the Middle East um, and where I grew up, um, decision-making capacity was exclusively in the hands of men. Um, so obviously when I moved to Canada, when I immigrated to Canada, I saw that there were women in politics, but I did not see lots of women in politics. And, you know, if I were thinking about women who could be role models for me, there really weren't that many. Um, and, you know, there were, the women that were there were, you know, white women. Um, and so I didn't really see myself in any of the people who were on stage or on a debate or, you know, kind of present as leaders of a party or anything like that. Um, and then I realized that, you know, um, there were, there are inequities here. Um, and part of, you know, part of that, I think, is due to the fact that there are, um, you know, we suffer from a lack of representation in different ways in our political system, in, um, in, 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 in you know, almost as we're coming to learn in almost every industry. Um, so the, I guess, you know, one of the things that I thought would be a solution is trying to create a more representational system. Um, and I, I do recognize that like representation isn't everything um, and that that's not really a, a meaningful way necessarily of um, 
you know, having policies that uh, take into account dif- different communities. But I do think it's it's a piece of the puzzle. Most politics today, uh, most pol- political parties today, in any election in the last, let's say, 20 years that I've been following politics on a regular basis, before that I, it was a pipe dream for me, but since 2000 I've been following it more closely, <laughs> um, since roughly about 2004 there has been quotas that political parties use to try to win votes they will come out at the, uh, once they've nominated all their candidates and say we have 50 women running in our party we have 25% uh, women running in our party we have tw- uh, 10% indigenous running in our party but if you look down it's great that you have uh, 50% women or 10% women or however many you have but if you look at the ridings that they're typically running in, they're usually the non-safe ridings. The ridings that the party has no chance of yep. winning because they don't see it as a a contender for their uh, for their money. How do we stop that? Mm-hmm. How do we get away from getting the quote of 30% women but getting those 30% women potentially in ridings that can win, but also giving them the support they need to win? Um, I mean, I think it's ultimately it comes down to party leadership and, um, you know, party leaders have to recognize that the public is smarter than um, seeing, you know, a, a list of candidates um, where there's, like you said, like, I don't know, 25% women or 30 women, um, and then recognizing they're in unwinnable ridings. Um, so if they really want to to have a more representative caucus, then they have to consider how to appoint women in, um, or I shouldn't say appoint, they have to consider how to um, get women in um, safer ridings. And I think there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, I, I use the word appoint, um, and I don't know that appointing is necessarily the right thing to do. Safe ridings, you know, they tend to be the areas where um, there are more people seeking a nomination, um, where there's kind of, um, it's it's more competitive. And so, you know, if you're coming in as someone who's new, who maybe hasn't been part of a party in the past, um, it would be harder to get nominated there. So I think parties need to examine, examine their nomination processes and ask themselves, like, what can we change here to make it more equitable or to make the result more equitable? Um, because really, to your point, like if, you know, if you have women running or people of color running in ridings that are um, not safe, not only does it do not end up with a representational sort of caucus, but also you are turning people off from a political um, from the political system. You are you know, making them feel like sacrificial lambs and people are smart, like they understand you know, like, you know, as someone who was part of a campaign you or who ran, I should say, you know, you put your heart and soul into it. Um, and if you feel like you were just, um, you know, uh, a sacrificial lamb again or some or a token, then that's that's not a good feeling, I don't think. Um, so I, I do think that parties need to start, you know, looking into their nomination processes and determining how how they can have more equitable outcomes. 
And in 2020, we're still in 2020 here. We're not in any election anytime soon. Next election municipally will be 2021. Federally, we don't know. Provincially, who the heck knows when anything's going to happen with COVID-19. Um, with uh, an election on the horizon, how do we get more women to put their name forward? Because that's always the toughest issue that I hear from women, from uh, parties, from levels of government is women just don't want to put their name forward because A, they think it's a guy's, uh, guy's field or B, they don't feel like their voice would be heard if they were they were to run and they got defeated. So what was what would be the point? So how do we get more women to be more self-confident to do that, to put their name forward for an elected official, uh, office, whether it be federally, provincial or municipal? So, I mean... I would kind of dispute that a little bit. I do think that self-confidence is an issue in particular for for women and, uh, you know, imposter syndrome is something that, um, that I think women might be more prone to. But I think part of it is that one of the reasons that I like to get women and, again, people of color involved in politics is because, you know, it's hard to go from not being involved in politics at all to being a candidate. Um, it's much easier to like volunteer on a campaign, make political connections, um, and then kind of, you know, go from there. Um, so I think what's really important is finding women early, getting them involved in the political process, helping them navigate that political process and giving them the tools that they need to then become candidates. Um, and then I think, so I think that's super important. And then I think it's also important for parties or, you know, um, I mean, Calgary doesn't have um, parties municipally, but for people who are doing any kind of candidate recruitment to go beyond the, the usual network. Um, and I think I get frustrated when I see like, you know, like people will ask, like, Esmahan, like, you know, do you have any names of women who should run? And I don't like to give the same names over and over again, because I think we're missing out that way. I think it's important to go into community communities, find community leaders, um, get people who have maybe never thought of themselves as politicians. And I think that's part of the part of the answer to the solution, the answer to the question as well. Like, um, we need to expand the idea of who can be a politician. Um, and I think that means that we need to challenge our perception of what it means to be a politician. Um, and those of us who are able to have the conversations that encourage people to run should be looking beyond the traditional mold um, and should be really investing our time in, you know, looking at people who are involved in leadership levels and the grassroots or in their communities and encouraging those people to think about making change, not just outside of politics, but inside of politics. Um, so I think that's important as well. Um, I, I don't like, I don't think that it's purely a self-confidence issue. Um, and I, you know, this is a, a bit controversial as well, but I think like, um, people need to think about sometimes stepping aside and, you know, if, if you're in a safe riding, um, and it's something that you've cared about, but you see that there's a woman who's got a lot of potential, you know, maybe see how you can support her. Maybe sometimes we have to think about like not always being at the top of the ticket, but um, thinking about how we can support other people to, to, to be in that role. 
Now, uh, you you have been on the ballot before uh, here in Calgary. You ran municipally. Uh, take me through that process. Uh, was it an easy decision for you to put your name forward in that election? No, it wasn't. And I did not plan on putting my name forward at all. Uh, I actually hoped that I would be running a campaign for a friend. <laughs> so I genuinely was like, um, and then when she decided not to run, I was like kind of shocked, but thought, okay, sure. Um, and then, you know, I um, was doing, I was encouraging other women to run and then they would ask me to run or, or they would ask me why I wasn't running actually. And I kept thinking at the time I was like 26, I think, or 27. And I thought, oh, I'm 26 or 27. Like I'm so young. Um, why would anyone want to vote for me? What do I have to offer that someone else doesn't have? Um, and then the more I said that out loud, the more I realized it was kind of a cop out. Um, so then I thought, okay, well, if I'm like encouraging all these other people to come forward, I should, you know, put my money where my mouth is and, and, and take that leap. Um, but it was a really scary process. And I say this without exaggeration, the first two months I was unable to sleep because I kept thinking to myself, like, why would anyone support me? Why would anyone vote for me? <laughs> why would anyone like besides, besides my, like, you know, immediate family donate any money to me. Um, you know, and it was that imposter syndrome. Um, and it, it was, it was really scary, um, because you are, you become really vulnerable. Um, and you know, I mean, politics isn't a popularity contest by any means, but it's hard not to think like, okay, well, you know, does anyone like me enough to come help me? (laughs) So there is that kind of, um, I think thought process that that you go through as a person, and um, so yeah, it was a pretty scary decision. Um, but I was really lucky to have friends and, and family who were supportive, and you know who um, who kind of talked me through my self confidence uh, issues and and made it possible for me to to have a pretty cool campaign. Now, during that campaign, did you have? Uh uh, were, were there negative comments about being a woman in that campaign? Because I'm, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, you were running against a male incumbent, correct? Uh, no, I, I, it was an open seat. Um, okay. But uh, I was one, yeah, but but I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I think I got um, some um, negative comments because I was a woman. I definitely got asked a lot whether I was tough enough to be a counselor <laughs> and I don't know that any of my male opponents got that question um, maybe they did and, and I would be interested if they did um, but I definitely got that a lot um, you know I got asked whether or not I had kids a lot um, and I think you know if you have kids negative don't have kids it's a negative it's kind of one of those um, double edged swords well um, and that's what I really want to talk about what, is that stereotype when uh, I, I yeah. can tell you uh, as a gay man running in northern Alberta, the first thing I would always get asked is, oh, you're the gay guy. Get off my property. Oh, you're the gay guy. I don't want to vote for a gay guy. Why are you gay? Here's the Bible verse. So there's always that stereotype of, hey, you you aren't supposed to be here. The 
straight uh, white male is only supposed to be running in uh, rural communities. So I understand what that stereotype's like, and it is challenging to overcome that. And I have never been, I, I, I can tell you that I've, I'm not in women's shoes, so I do not know what it is like to run as a woman candidate. So, and that's why I'm happy that I have you here to talk about that. And do we, do we need to start having conversations outside of elections to inform our electorate that, you know what, men, male, female, white, uh, African-American, people of any color, indigenous, gay, straight, they all can be successful candidates and successful politicians, no matter who you they, who they are and what background they have. Yeah, we definitely need to be having those conversations. And I think like I hear, you know, one of the arguments I hear that drives me up the wall is that like, you know, um, when I say like we should have more women in politics, more people from the LGBT community, more um, people of color. So it's like, well, the the person who is most qualified should win as if somehow white straight men have always been the most qualified person for the job. Right. I mean, the implication to that is that there are. You know, there's no qualified women, women, there's no qualified people of color, there's no qualified person of the LGBT community. And that is not a true statement. I mean, it's, you know, you can verifiably um, determine that that's incorrect. So, yeah, I think we need to really challenge, uh, really challenge that assumption when people say things like that. It's like, really? So you don't think that there was a qualified woman to take that role? You don't think there was a qualified person of color? Um, and if you don't think so, then maybe you need to like expand your network and and you know make the effort to meet those people um, because they exist and they're they are many um, and they all have something important to bring. So I think that's really like we really need to challenge that. Um, I, I would agree, and I and I think like it's also on people you know um who have run in the past uh, whether or they're successful or not to bring attention to the kinds of things that get said um and the kinds of attitudes that exist because i think a lot of people don't know you know what kind of flack you would get (laughs) for um for example being you know um having a certain personal characteristic so i think there's there's that as well you know it's important to have those conversations and um you know to go off on another tangent it's important to have those conversations but it's it's also difficult to have those conversations because um you know i i very like deliberately didn't speak about any of the racism or sexism i got at the doors um and it was because i knew that if i did speak about it like a question about whether or not I'm tough enough to be a counselor, it would kind of play into that, right? Like, okay, well, she's not tough enough because she's complaining about it. So she should just suck it up. So I did suck it up um, and really not talk about it. But then I get mad at myself for not talking about it because then it's like, I'm like allowing that stereotype to impact how I, you know, how I talk about the experience. And I'm also, you know, creating this idea that it was all fine and dandy when there were some really, um, problematic things that I heard, um, and there there are some attitudes that we need to seriously reconsider. And I, I agree wholeheartedly on that one. Um, what does it say about Canada that we've only had thirteen fir- female first ministers in our country's history? One female prime minister and twelve female premiers from coast to coast to coast. Does that say that 
women are are treated more unfairly when it comes to role in politics that to achieve that elected office because typically uh outside of uh two uh female premiers they've never gone on to win re-election so are women treated more unfairly when it comes to elections and when they're in places of power like being a first minister yeah, I mean, I think that there are um, standards that women have to meet that um, are not necessarily standards that men have to meet. Um, I think the, the issue is broader. I mean, like, I've been think- thinking about this a lot, particularly in the context of COVID um, and the kind of economic devastation that we've seen. Um, and, the you know, the reality is there's so much inequity. Um, and in, in Canada, we're doing, you know, we've come pretty far um, and a lot of people have, um, you know, a pretty decent um, standard of living, which is great. But there is a lot of inequality and there are a lot of people who aren't struggling. Um, and, you know, in particular, this this um, COVID, you know, you know, situation has you know, a lot of economists are calling it like a she session because so many um, women have been laid off um, because it hit the service sector so hard. Um, but then also, I mean, so many women are struggling with um, not not just working, but also carrying the the load of childcare at home, the load of um, you know labor in the house. Um, so these kinds of inequalities, I think, exist here as well here in Canada. Um, there, I think inequalities that sometimes when times are good, we can paper over them and just assume that, well, maybe like, you know, maybe it's just the glass ceiling that we have to break through. If we just break this glass ceiling, everything's going to be fine. But that's not true. And I think, you know, if you look down south at the U.S., like in many ways, Barack Obama broke this glass ceiling, right? Like he um, was the first black president. But that didn't mean that racism went away. In fact, it somehow, you know, seems to be having a resurgence. Um, so I think, yes, it, it, it does say that we have work to do, that we need to elect more women at the top to, you know, to as premier, as prime minister, as mayor. I mean, we like hardly have any women mayor in big cities. Uh, I think Valerie LaPlante is the only one in a major Canadian city. I, but I might be wrong. Um, uh, I think you're so, actually right. Yes, yeah. So yeah, that that's something that <laughs> grinds my gears a little bit. So I do think that's important. But I also think that it's important that we examine inequities at every level. Um, and that really, you know, um, if it's the case that um, those inequities exist, all over, then they they need to be addressed, and it's it's not just the glass ceiling that needs to be broken through. It's kind of the system that we need to take a look at and understand how to make more equitable because it's not equitable right now. And now, and it's you know it is pretty sad. Um, I think I read an article a few weeks ago that said that a lot of women are reconsidering whether or not they can re-enter the workplace because they have to deal with childcare, and it's you know it's impossible to be to be a a teacher at home and a time working parent and a full time like, you know, um, housekeeper, I guess. So um, I think those are things we need to think about. Like, how do we create a more equitable system? What does um, what would affordable childcare 
that's, you know, accessible for everyone mean? How would that change, change the world? Um, how would that make it more equal for women? So I think like we really need to think about macro policies um, as well and what that would mean for gender, gender equality and, but, and the- any other kind of equality. And one of the big things that you uh, co-founded while you were uh, well, during your time here in Alberta was at the Ask Her campaign. You were the first president and you were a co-founder of it. Just talk talk to me about what the Ask Her campaign is about, because for people who are listening and this is a coast to coast to coast podcast and around the world, what is the Ask Her campaign? So... Um the Ask Her campaign, when I co-founded it, was this idea that in Calgary, we had at the time, um, you know, 15 council seats, including the mayors, but only two women councillors. And in the election that preceded um, that, something like something like 9% of candidates or 13% of candidates were women, which is, you know, incredibly low. So... Um, the idea was to ask women to run um, and to create this kind of public awareness campaign where people, because like I lived, you know, before co-founding it, I lived in Calgary for years and I never thought about how few women were on city council. But then once I realized it's not great. Um, and then, you know, like I would have conversations with people and they also thought it was not great, but it's not something that like you kind of think about. Um, the idea of thinking about it, and then to get people to think about women that you know or about themselves, um, and encourage those women or themselves to put their name forward or to get involved um, and put their name forward in a future election. And um, you know, I'm, I'm not involved with the organization right now. I resigned when I. Um, when I ran, but um, they're doing some really cool work preparing um, women to get involved in the next municipal election. So, um, so th- yeah, they, they're doing some really great work. So, what what's the goal? What is the goal for what is the in the perfect world for Esmahan? What is the perfect goal for uh, equality and getting women to run? Is it hundred percent, fifty percent, seventy five percent, thirty three percent? What is the goal for getting more women involved and elected in politics for Esmahan? So, to be honest, like for me. I couldn't give a number because I don't know that the number really represents what I would like to see. What I what I want is a system where no woman, because of her gender, is disadvantaged. Um, you know, where no woman, because she is a woman, will have to face more harassment on social media um, or uh, you know threats of violence. Like you know, Premier Notley or um, former Premier Notley um, was the Premier with the most in Alberta with the most death threats. Like, so um, what I would like to see is a system where those, um, where women are not starting from behind, right? Where they don't have to overcome these stereotypes. And truly, I would like to see it for not just women, but again, like people of color, um, people who are part of the LGBTQ community, like for every kind of marginalized group that we have in society, you should be able to participate in the democratic system in a way where they're not um, disadvantaged at the beginning. 
Um, and then, you know, then it's a fair election, you know, then you can truly say like, okay, well, this person won um, and that person lost. But, you know, when you have elections where, you know, let's say, let's say it's a woman running and, you know, part of the commentary about her is wh- what she looks like or, or again, and whether she's tough enough or whether being a mom or whether it's weird that she doesn't have kids or, um, you know, like one of the things that, um, that I, that, uh, I think people who are immigrants, for example, as an, as an immigrant, it's always like, oh, is she fully, she fully, or is he fully loyal to the country? Like those kinds of things. If you, we have to get rid of those, um, underlying inequities and create a system where, you know, where everybody is starting at the same level. Do you look at any other country and see that that that's happening? where women are on the same level when it comes to politics, because you look around the world and I'm, I'm just looking at two examples right now. I think it's Finland, if I'm not mistaken, with the uh, largest cabinet made up of women and uh, New Zealand, if I'm not mistaken as well, where uh, yeah. it's sort of that equal footing, but it that's from an outsider's perspective. I don't know internally how it's uh, run there. If they are getting death threats, like you said, or how they're treated in the media. So is there a country that you look at and say, you know what, they're doing it a little bit better than Canada and we should be looking at them? Yeah, I mean, I think like New Zealand and Finland are good examples of getting women um, more involved. And it's pretty cool. I mean, I think, you know, both um, both of those leaders are, are young women as well, which is like really exciting. But I think like, it, you know, there is still work to be done, even in those countries. I mean, New Zealand has a Maori population. I would be curious to know how many indigenous people are a part of that government. Um, is it just a white government? You know, is it just a straight government? So, and, and that's something that I, I think I have been thinking a lot more about lately. It's, you know, um, we might be closer to getting a certain kind of person um, to run. So if that's an affluent person, um, or something like that, but are we making it so that we're getting everybody to be able to do it? <laughs> that and that's true. That is one thing that uh, during this uh, Black Lives Matter uh, protest, this upheaval of making sure voices are heard now uh you see from coast to coast to coast and even around the world people are fed up right because their voices aren't being heard and i and I, i'm proud that people are standing up and actually saying that and saying you know what it, it, like i have no place to say anything because i've never felt racism in my life uh i i am white and the the closest i've come to is homophobia but i could walk down the street and not be labeled as an lgb a member of the lgbtq group where a person who is a person of color like my husband, he could walk down the street and he would have that hate at him because he's a different color than I am. So I I, I see that and I I hope that the good that comes out of this uh, this movement that is spreading across the world is that we get more people who are going to be active in politics because we just saw down in the states yesterday in the New York elections we saw people of color beating the traditional old white man so it it it's starting i think would you agree um i definitely think there is like 
in the U.S. some, you know, momentum now um, in particular um, to, you know, look at um, giving voice, like giving space and um, listening to the voices of people who have been traditionally disempowered, particularly um, black people in the United States. So I think that's you know, exciting to see. But um, I think I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic because I've also, you know, in my young life, um, seen how things can lose momentum. And then we stop having that conversation. And so I really hope that this is an ongoing conversation and that we are really looking at um, sustained change. Because I think, you know, um, for those of us who lived through and were paying attention to the Obama years, there was this feeling, I think, that like, okay, well, you know, we have a black president in the United States. And so um, we're going to make progress progress on racism to make progress on lots of inequity including you know when obama was president like same-sex marriage was legalized in the united states and um you know there there was all these moves in what i would what i believe is the right direction a more equitable direction um so i like i don't know i think it was like michelle obama um she said something like you if you are part of a, and I'm like completely paraphrasing, like if you are part of a marginalized group, you can never take your rights for granted. You can never take this kind of representation for granted. You always have to be vigilant um, because all it takes is an election um, for that to flip and for your rights to then be, um, and the progress that you've made to be under threat. And that's what I think is, like that's what gives me this kind of cautious optimism um, and I hope that, you know, we see this progress, but we're also vigilant to make sure that this progress continues um, and that we don't take a step back. So how are you keeping the progress moving with getting more women involved in politics? I've got to ask the question because you set me up for the perfect question there. <laughs> <laughs> um. Are you Sorry, still having are you are you still having those conversations with women to get involved in politics? Are you talking with your friends, your family members to say, "Hey, think about it. Get involved with the campaign, even if it's not it doesn't have to be the candidate, but maybe get involved as the campaign manager like yourself who wanted to be the campaign manager but became the candidate." So are you having those conversations still? Even with people of color um, as well? Yeah, like I think I and it cut out a bit, so I'm going to answer the question that I think I heard, which is, <laughs> which is, am I encouraging people to run? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, it's something that um, I'm super passionate about and will probably always, you know, I, I think it's kind of like a, a joke now. Like if you go out with Asmahan, like she's going to ask you to run <laughs> or ask you to do something political. Um but you know what? Like, I like being the person who asked somebody who's never been asked before if they've ever considered being involved in politics, because everybody should be asked um, whether they want to participate in some level. So, yeah, I love having that conversation. I think it's important. Um, and I, I truly believe that the more voices we have at the table, um, the better. Um, but I mean, I know that that there are complexities with that. So, 
Yeah. But I mean, I would encourage anyone who's listening, if they've never been uh, a candidate before, they've never been involved in a campaign to think about how they can get involved um, and how they can one day run themselves or or be a campaign manager and and, yeah, get out there and volunteer. Um, And I think, you know, it's uh, COVID is COVID you know, is an opportunity. Like think about um, whether or not you've been disproportionately impacted um, and what that means for you. Um, and, you know, think about what you care about and, and see if there's a candidate you can make calls for. I mean, like you said, there's no like real election coming up soon, but um, see what you can do, what you can get involved in um, because, you know, your voice matters and it should be heard. Now, I'm going to ask the final question here before we wrap things up. And I think you probably know what the question is going to be, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Two, four, ten years from now, is there a potential name on the ballot for Esmahan? Um, right now, I don't I don't see myself putting my name forward. Um, I definitely am still involved in politics. Um, and right now, I think what I want to be doing is supporting cool people to run um, and helping, you know, um, helping open that door. Um, but in the future, I mean, who knows, right? Like it's, I think, I think, you know, timing ma- matters a lot in politics. Um, and so if I thought it was the right time, I would do it. Um, but I don't know if there's going to be a right time, So we'll have to see. That's <laughs> That's a perfect spot to leave it at. I want to thank you very much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. It was insightful. It was eye-opening. And I, I, I always get uh, information out of people when I talk to them. And it just happened right there. And I, I very much appreciate you sitting down and doing this today. Thanks for doing this. It was really super great to have this conversation. And yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you once again for listening to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you love this episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. All the links to our social media accounts are in the show notes or visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown & Associates Incorporated. Be sure to tune in next Saturday for our next episode of the cross-border interview podcast once again thank you and see you next week Bye-bye.